Hello. Hello. And welcome to Sarah and Paul's Do Do Social Work. <laughs> Great to see you again, Paul. Nice to see you too. Missed you. Yeah, well, missed you. Yeah, haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> and um, what we're going to do today is we, the last few times that we've got together, we've spoken a lot about the care of you. Yep. And um, we've had some great feedback about that, which has been brilliant. And thank you to those people that have taken the time to listen and yep. feedback. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We thought that today we would use the opportunity of it being the beginning of September and the kind of good change of season that we, <laughs> we are going to do, um, spend a bit of time talking about uh, student life, being a social, uh, being a social work student. Yeah, but also thinking about um, continuing professional development as well. So going back into university, what it feels like, yeah. um, how to succeed, how to get those marks. That's yes. really important, isn't it? So without further ado, do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've missed this. <laughs> yeah. um, what is your do do? What do you think that you could uh, give yourself a bit of a pack on the back for? So, my, well, my do do, Paul, actually, having had um, a little bit of time off in August mm -hmm. and uh, I, I used the time to catch up with friends and family, um, spend a bit of time doing things that I wanted to do. And that's, that's my do do. That's my do do as well. So, so, spending time away, having some break, having a break has been amazing, hasn't having it? Having a break. And it's okay, I think, that we've got the same do do. It obviously yeah, shows yeah. Uh, yeah. how well we uh, structure these these sessions and um <laughs> does it uh dipping out of routine for a bit that's what i've really yeah. enjoyed and just yeah. uh yeah freestyling it's been great and it works for me really well however what i also really welcome is the opportunity to go right okay back to routine i yeah. feel refreshed and now i feel kind of revitalized and, and ready to to carry did on did you struggle at all kind of relaxing and taking time off what winding down yeah do you mean? yeah i have done in the past previously i've written social work uh, court assessments as you know and people who are listening who are in that world where you're just kind of continuously ke keeping up to deadlines mm. when i've been in work on that front line i've found it really hard to to unwind afterwards because your body's still in adrenaline mode just because yeah, yeah. your day-to-day -day is switching off it doesn't mean that physiologically your body's adrenaline uh just stops you know it takes a while to to, to wind down doesn't it however this year because I'm in a slightly different role I'm not doing the constant court deadlines and therefore I felt that I was able to, to once I'd kind of put me out of office on done everything my to-do list I was able to switch off yeah and it's so important I guess and and that's uh, what I teach students as well what we what we all teach students is about being able to do those kind of mindfulness exercises, being able to take some time away mm -hmm. so that you're not, your brain isn't always busy when you're away from work, keeping you up at night, thinking about things all the time. So being able to do that relaxing bit, it's just so important of being, being, social, being a social worker, isn't it? It took me years to develop that skill, actually. Yeah, and that's something that we can talk about today in terms of learning as a student, yeah. that it took me years from going, actually, how do I stop? Because I actually, doing nothing, I feel sometimes like I don't do anything. and I, Like I don't achieve anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but what have I achieved? Nothing. Well, yeah, but then that's not good. But no, it is, it's fine. Resting is achieving something. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Achieving it's... nothing is still achieving. Does that make sense? No, not really. But <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> So in terms of poo, poo do you want me to go first? Or should do we? I want you go first? <laughs> okay. I have really struck. I don't want to be one of these typical people that talks about the weather, but the weather, let me <laughs> tell you. <laughs> uh, 
don't know what's happening. So I don't... I'm always dressing inappropriately. <laughs> I'm always getting caught out. I'm always... It's, I'm either too hot, too cold. Um, people are looking at me like I'm stupid because I've got either got wet or I'm sweating. I just, I find it really, really difficult. I don't know what to do. And I look at, I look at the weather. Judging <laughs> so, you. Judging me. I do look at the weather. It tells you nothing. Yeah. I, I do agree. I mean, I would just like to take this opportunity to compliment you on your shirt you're wearing today. Thank it's you. lovely. I love the khaki green. Really suits you. <laughs> khaki. <laughs> so I basically have just talked about the weather. Okay, fine. fine. Fair enough. So what about your poo-poo? I was just going to say, just quite simply, can I still say the cost of living crisis? Of course you can. Okay. Let's start with our experiences of university, I guess, and of college. So did you go to college? Did you go to university? I went to college. Right. And then I went to university. Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I never had aspirations for university, actually. I'm the first person in my kind of, within my family that went to university. Mm. Not anymore, but at the time. Mm. And so I didn't have any aspirations for university. And then I went to work for a year and then decided I definitely don't want to work full time forever. So I went to university for a year. This was in North London. Yeah. And whilst I was there, I... Um, what did you study there then? Communication studies. All right. Mm. Okay. And it was really interesting and I enjoyed it. But I didn't complete my degree at that time because I had my son. Okay. So I then, um, kind of fast forward a few years, mm. I was then working in children's social care as a social work resource officer, so an unqualified social worker essentially, although yeah. their roles are very much more defined now, for, yeah. for anyone in social work will know that. And the review is trying to, is going to suggest that they are even more defined. Okay, so the, in the independent care review that yeah. we've been just talking yeah, about, yeah. okay. So, um... And so when I was working as a social work resource officer, I wanted to, I always wanted to get a degree and I thought it just makes perfect sense that I go and get a social work degree. I'm working in social work. I can see myself want, wanting to become a qualified social worker. So I kind of felt like I had that insight and I was really up for doing it. The challenge that I faced was that at the time I was a single parent, mm. I had a mortgage and I was working full time and I couldn't afford to stop working full time in order to return to, to university. And so I looked into my options and at the time the Open University were, were running a social work degree mm. and that the local authority that I was working for were endorsing people to go and get qualified. Great. And that was an, a fantastic opportunity for me because there's no other way that I would have been able to uh, have gone and, and, and got that degree. And what that looked like was partly financially supported by, by my employer to be able to study. And that involved me then repaying, but over over the course of, like, I was able to then repay my employer for the fees, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It was a really affordable and manageable way of doing it. And it also meant that my placements were essentially already set out for me because of the local authority that I was working Perfect. for. I didn't have to worry about that, which I think is a worry for some university students around where they're going to be placed. Mm. <coughs> so that was my my journey, was um, studying part-time through the Open University. It took me four years. Yeah. So I was working full-time during the day. What kind of age were you? Uh, mid to late 20s. So I qualified uh, just when I was around... Maybe 30, early 30s I qualified. Yeah. yeah. And did you find it hard? Did you find it difficult? What bits did you find kind of difficult? Yes. Um, 
Well, I, it's interesting because I look back and go, I was working full time, I was a single parent and I was studying in the evenings wow. and I made sure that I had a lively social life where possible as well. So yeah. I kind of look back and go, there's no way I'd be able to do that now. I'm, like sure, 20... you, I'm sure you made sure you had a lively social life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fast forward so many years later. Um, what I found difficult was probably some sense of, not loneliness isn't the right word, but a bit of isolation because studying through the OU, I think it's a great opportunity, but it is in independent study mm. and so once a month we would we as in myself and other people on the social work course and there weren't people from my local authority so I'd travel we'd get together and we'd have like once a month kind of um like a workshop or seminar and that was great to touch base with those people but I never I didn't work with them so then I wouldn't see them again mm. and then so then you're working the course is designed that you're interacting online with people actually you are studying in isolation that was hard actually that was hard it was quite lonely at times I think isolation has become a really big thing, especially as we kind of, lots of students were working during times of COVID when actually a lot of the, the students that I was teaching hadn't even met each other yes. for a year. Yes. And so they're all in their own kind of homes and all of that kind of stuff, which has its advantages and disadvantages. But it meant that there wasn't that kind of peer group support. And that's what you really need in terms of social work, because we're comparative animals. You know, we need to know how other people are getting on to be able to judge how we're getting on. Mm. That's just the way that we are. Yeah. And I think it's really, really difficult because sometimes when you feel like you're not coping, you can't, you kind of look around because social work courses are hard. They're hard in terms of just not only the topics mm -hmm. that we cover, but they're hard in terms of actually you should be challenging yourself. You should be challenging your beliefs. Mm -hmm. You should be working on anti-discriminatory, anti-oppressive practice, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really tough. Yeah. And I think without that, what I would say in terms of that isolation, what we now have are things like WhatsApp groups, mm -hmm. which are brilliant. We have kind of boards on kind of on virtual learning sites, all of that kind of stuff, so people can engage with each other. So I think it's getting a little bit better. Yeah, in terms of those platforms for people to, to communicate. Yeah. So I would say isolation was a definite challenge. I think another challenge was the realisation of what social work was and what it meant. Mm. So that transition from coming in going, okay, I've worked as an unqualified social worker, I've worked in a school with children with, with additional needs. I kind of feel like I know what, what it's all about, but the change for me was the light bulb moment of going, hang on, I'm not just here to make a difference. Mm. There's something about me that needs to be here in this role. And then it opened up this kind of an ongoing point of reflection around my own self and development and needs and what is it that's brought me to this point here today that mm. I am this person that now wants to involve myself in a world of social work because as we know it's demanding, it's stressful, it's traumatic, mm. it's incredibly rewarding but it's also all of those other things as well. Yeah and it's interesting that how when I ask new students why they're there mm -hmm. they will all say because I want to help people which is a great starting point but it does become that thing of actually is it just that is there am I fulfilling some kind of need in myself yes totally do I need to be needed and I think it's really important for social work students to get to the point of going what is it that's working here for me yeah because once you also are able to understand what it is that you're getting from that situation that also will develop your resilience as you go on through the course of your career to yep. understand why it is that you're here and what it is you're getting from this because it has to be give and take yeah but also why you get is sometimes you get really stressed about really really minute things or when someone's not doing something quite how 
how you would do it or, or whatever, or how you have done it. So we've all had, well, a lot of us have had different experiences mm. and different ways to get out of those experiences. And sometimes when we're helping to, for people to help themselves and they're not listening to you, I used to get really, really frustrated. Go, why aren't you, are you, and all of this kind of stuff. But that's about me. Yes. That's not about them. Yes. That's about me. And so it is that process of reflection again. We talk about reflection, aren't we? Well, and coming, and we could talk about this for ages. And I hope, you know, we'll come on a little bit later on in the podcast today and talk about some kind of tips or strategies for social work students. And I've got one, you know, just what we're talking about is thinking about your own attachment strategies and how you yeah. manage stress and relationships. But we'll come on to that shortly. Yeah, yeah. So, how about you, Paul? Do you want to give a little bit about your background with your social work uh, degree? Well, I've been to university um, three times. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of love it, <laughs> as you can say. Every single time. Time I went it was a very different experience for me so the first time I went I was in my 20s um, I'd traveled kind of around the world doing various different things partying mainly actually and so okay I went to university and there were people just away from home and I was seen as kind of the older one I was only about two years older than everyone and I kind of knuckled down but it was about university being an experience it wasn't just about the learning okay and I think that is something that we should acknowledge that it isn't just about learning so lots of people when they are going to do their undergrad degree Mm -hmm. it's about more than just the course it's about actually finding a community it's finding your stride it's about learning about yourself you can really invent yourself can't you <laughs> sometimes with great success and sometimes with um, <coughs> a little success so my first degree was in psychology and drama and I did that at Liverpool Hope University College psychology and drama yeah yeah there's loads of <laughs> why there's do so... white people <laughs> why do people... first of all why do people there's... <laughs> there's so much I don't know about you Paul right. however there's so much that that completely makes sense to me <laughs> <laughs> having now having known you for a number of years what a perfect did, did they make that degree just for you. <laughs> well, there is lots of um, there's lots of psychology in in terms of drama, isn't there? In terms of playwriting, in terms of actually what you're doing. Yes. And there's lots of drama in kind of um, science and academia and all of this kind of stuff, which I'm finding out all the time. Drama, <laughs> which, drama, drama. Which you're loving, no <laughs> doubt. Oh, you know, don't call me a drama queen, but yeah. So that was my first degree. And then I think I had to kind of deal a little bit with that isolation. But what I found really useful was thinking about how everyone else there was in the same boat. Mm -hmm. So everyone was trying to make friends. Everyone was trying to be nice to each other. Everyone was trying to be open, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Then when I went, uh, did my master's, that was 10 years later. And it was the same kind of thing. So um, that you're talking about. So I was kind of sponsored by a local authority and my placements were within the local authority. So where did you work? Um, so prior to you, then you had ten years. Then you went and did your master's degree. So what, what were you? Where? What kind of? My things... master's in social work. Yeah. And you were working in social work, and then I was working you as a ma- support worker okay. in mental health um, and adults with autism as well. Um, and so I did that, and actually I was older then. I had my group of friends around me. I didn't really want to make new friends, to be honest. It was all about the course. It was all about learning. I was the one in the library um, at Edinburgh University, going around shushing all the undergrads, going, "You're in a library." Can people feel it? being that <laughs> annoying, mature student going? And all do you of that do that now when you're, do, do you, when you go into university? Do you still tell people to be quiet in the library? No, no, no I just give stern looks. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very much more relaxed now, I'm sure. I'm, I'm not, am I? <laughs> <laughs> then 10 years later, I did my 
PhD. I did another MSc, so that was in Masters of Science, learning how to do a PhD, and then I did my PhD. And that was a different level again, because I was kind of, not just a student, but I was also academic staff as well. Okay. So I can ask a question. You weren't the first person in your family to ever go to university, were you? I think my father was the first person. Okay. But I'm not sure. My sister was the first woman okay. to go to university. That's shocking, isn't it? Shocking, not surprising, but a, yeah. a great a great yeah, thing. Yeah, and it, yeah. I guess it just kind of goes to show around uh, gender differences in, yeah. in education. But yeah. we won't go into that too much today. <laughs> Learning from all of that, I guess thinking about what types of tips. I mean, we're not experts on being students. I guess I've been three times. So I should be, but I'm definitely not. And you're teaching now. Full, you have been teaching, yeah. haven't you, at university? I love it. I absolutely full love time? it. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't full time. It was part time. Um, but I was doing the learning for practice course. Okay. And I love it because actually you see all these keen students yeah. at the very early, very beginning of their career, all very keen. And you look around and you know that they are the future of our profession. Okay, fantastic. And the more you talk to them, um, and they're bringing new ideas in, they're bringing new experiences in, and the more you talk to them, the more you get really proud of the profession, but also them as well. Because I think to start off with, and this is the first tip, there's an imposter syndrome. Everyone has it. Not just the students, by the way. Okay, that's, that's going to be helpful for people yeah, yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. But also the lecturers and actually even professors. So I remember doing my first kind of lecture to professors um, and standing up there. And luckily I have a drama background so <laughs> <laughs> and I love performing. I remember saying to the professors, it must be so much easier for you because actually you feel like you fit in. And they say, well, we, we still don't. What we feel even more is that people have higher expectations of us because we've been doing it for so long yeah. and we're never going to make the grade in terms of their expectations. Right. So everyone around you has these kind of imposter syndrome. But what I would say, having seen all these students, you bring your uniqueness with you. I'm going to start sounding like RuPaul's Drag Race. But you, you bring your uniqueness. No one else has those experiences. So it's about you working through it and applying that and making social work great again. Oh, God. Oh now I found like Trump. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> From RuPaul to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's profound. <laughs> tip though because if I'm just going to summarise what you said actually <laughs> it's around people actually being confident in who they are in the sense of and, th and we know confidence develops over time and through learning yeah. but actually just bringing yourself because actually being there wanting to learn and actually your life experience is going to to, to form who you are and every and as you said it's not people are going to be you're not in competition with one another no, not at all. The only competition you're in um, is, I guess, with, with yourself. And I suppose that's the next bit. It's about managing yourself, being able to manage your time. So is this tip number two? Because we, we have to be clear about this. All right, tip number two. Is managing yourself. So that's managing your time, but also being able to manage and understand that your emotions might be the first time away from home. You might have a family um, where you're having to juggle different things. There might be loads and loads of stuff going on in your family. Yes. Often there is. Yes. And so you have to be able to understand not only that you're not going to be able to cope all the time. That's fine. Mm -hmm. None of us do. That's okay. But find out where, where you can go for support and book in that time, as we've just done, for your time off, your time for relaxing, your time for socialising, your time for... I don't know, if you want to go and get drunk or whatever. 
Can I just pause yeah. you there? We're not going to advocate going to get drunk just to feel better, okay? No, 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 no. Getting drunk, taking drugs as well. That's another thing, isn't it? In terms of... <laughs> You're going maverick here, Paul. Oh, What's no, no, happening? No. You know, taking drugs and drinking is around at university. For lots of students, first time that they've seen it around. Or been away from home and had the opportunity to, to exactly. observe it in a exactly. way that... Exactly. Okay. And what I would say, and I say to all of my students, is if you are feeling isolated, if you are feeling down, the worst thing you can do is take drugs, drink alcohol, all of those kind of things. You might get a little peak for a minute or an hour or an evening. It's not going to help your mental health in any sense whatsoever. It's a form of self-harm. So just be really, really cautious about what you're doing in terms of your mental health because there are all different types of experiences out there, but make sure that you choose carefully in terms of those experiences. Okay, so tip two, synopsis, yeah. is around making time for yourself and taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Really important. Yeah. I mean, and it's easier said than done though. It is. I don't want to be that person that goes, yes, to do that thing. And then everyone goes, well, when am I going to do that thing? But it's kind of a bit like you have to put it in your diary like you would a lecture you and that's to... another, uh, you're, you're segueing beautifully onto my next top tip which is about top tip number three <laughs> okay having a routine so that could be anything that can be from i have my meal at a certain time every single day or i go and see this friend every single week different timestamps to mark your your week so that you have some kind of routine often as students what can happen is things can merge and blur into one. So have these set times mm. around. And for somebody, and I would ask this question, for somebody who hasn't always historically been good with routine, yeah. especially when you begin in a social work profession, you begin working in an environment where actually your day-to-day -day life can feel quite chaotic because you kind of end up mirroring some of the families that you might be working yeah. with. And I'm somebody who, I really value routine, but I'm also really flexible in my life approach. And actually, how do, if you're not somebody who naturally does routine, how do you begin to even fit it into your day-to-day -day life? I would always advocate so when students come to me and they are freaking out and what I say to them is mark everything that you're going to do down in there. I do a Gantt chart. Have you heard of a Gantt chart? Talk us through the Gantt chart Paul. <laughs> I don't know what Gantt means uh, but it's got two N's in it. Uh, I think it's got two T's in it actually Paul. <laughs> All right well whatever. So are those two T's? <laughs> Well, and what do those two T's stand for then, Sarah? Don't look it up on your phone. <laughs> you keep talking. All right. Keep talking us through this. Are you searching this? your brain for it? <laughs> <laughs> so Gantt chart is basically you do little blocks of your day. So you have a block for this is when I'll be studying. This is when I'll be having lunch. This is when I'll be doing nothing. This is when I'll be watching rubbish TV. This is when I'm sleeping. And you break everything down. And you just be really, really organised and you have time, which is spontaneous time, but you put that into actually what your routines are. So you can do it, I would do it for, for my days, but I'd probably do it for a whole week in terms of when are certain assignments due, when is, does my placement start, all of these types of things. Oh, okay. That's what I need to do for my work then. Yeah. I need to look it up. It literally takes half an hour and you be really, really, don't try and limit yourself in terms of, well, I'm only going to, I'm going to give myself three hours to do a bit of reading. Go wild. Give yourself four hours. Do you know what I mean? Just overestimate what you're going to be doing because okay. actually what starts happening is if you start doing that, if you start saying, well, I'm going to give myself four hours 
to read up about a certain topic. If you do it within two hours, you're like, hey, pat myself on the back. I've done it in two hours. Well, and also, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people that's really over-optimistic about how much time I've got to do things. Right. So I'll be like, oh, I've got a meeting in five minutes. I will put some laundry on, take the dog for a walk, quickly phone a friend, yeah. and then uh, send out that email. And yeah. then it's like, actually, I can't all fit that stuff in five minutes. So having something more organisational like that sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, so that was tip number three. This is now tip number four. <laughs> Why are we keeping track of all the tips? I just think it's helpful for the listeners <laughs> okay. to know. I don't know why. All right, tip number four. Yes, no, it's very important. Carry on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like a social work student. <laughs> tip number four is make friends with your um, students and, and also when you're on placement, your social work colleagues. Yeah. Because they will become your, your team, your squad, you know, they're, they're your people and I just know from my experience of doing social work is that I've still got my long-term friends who I know and love dearly. Who but, could they be? Well, not... Yeah, I'm coming on to you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Can't ask for the compliment. I've got, I've got non... So I've got non-social work friends who I know and love dearly and have known for years. Mm. But what has helped me through my career is having social work friends. They're the people that really help you get through the challenges of social work. They're the people that allow you to kind of unpick some stuff within yourself that they're really interested to hear in a way that non-social work friends who might not be in such reflective careers kind of don't necessarily go there. And of course, you know, that's how you and I, Paul, have become such good friends. Would you class me as a good friend? One of my best friends. Oh, that's such a lovely thing to say. Thanks. I I really didn't know what you were going to say then, so I feel generally touched. Yeah, especially from someone with a the emotional capacity of a carrot like me (laughs) so how do you actually do that how do you make friends good question because it seems like such a simple thing to say but in a busy social work placement where people are so kind of highly stressed and don't have time here's a student again Mm, oh yeah that's yeah yeah. and people kind of being not wanting to you know when i have been a practice uh, supervisor and had social work students within my team um The social work students who seem to kind of fit in quite well and go off and maintain contact with people are the ones that are really kind of wanting to learn from others, Mm. that are really mindful that other people are really busy and stressed around them, but still ask questions. Yeah. Because it shows that they want to learn, that they're not too... You know, sometimes people think, I'm not going to ask that question because it might seem daft or I should know it or that person looks really busy. Mm. But actually, it is okay to interrupt social workers and ask a question. That's the right thing to do. And in terms of then you begin to build a bit of a rapport with people. Yeah. I would say ask questions. Don't be the social worker. Because there's... um, uh, This is... I'm talking about my own experience of going in. And I was... I know this is probably hard to believe, but I was a little bit of a kind of uppity social social worker kind of social work student that went in and went was like well I hope you realize that the patriarchy is um actually you know stumbling um upon um the colloquial um and they're just going and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> I can like, really imagine uh-huh. that that's why it's so it's about asking questions rather than just um, trying to enforce your kind of studenty thoughts onto a whole kind of workplace who are really, really busy <laughs> and probably are not thinking quite about the patriarchy at that particular point in time. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, make friends with your social work colleagues because they will help you weather the storm. I would say be open. Literally open doors. Is this tip number five? No, no, no. Open doors. This is (laughs) this is part of being friends of making friends. Okay. Be open. But also be open in terms of your body language. I remember the first time going to the halls of residence, for example, yeah. just keeping your door open because people will pop by and go, mm-hmm. oh, hi, and all of that kind of stuff. So being open physically, but metaphorically okay. as well. Yes. Just be open. And, and going on social work placement, I guess, I'm not saying that this should be the, the, the student's job at all when I say this, but in terms of the teens, teens tend to take turns in offering to make hot drinks or getting refreshments. Yeah. And I think if you can kind of then become part of the team by just taking part in those really simple kind of acts of kindness that always goes down really well yeah very good so okay. do you have another tip, top tip okay another top tip it's a very social worky thing to say and i'm mindful of that get to know your attachment history mm-hmm. it's very social worky it is very social worky <laughs> but i thought we're on the theme of social work <laughs> I guess so. yeah, yeah. and i can speak from my own experience around learning about attachment strategies mm-hmm. and attachment styles I just, and I really think it's kind of underpins so much of the work that social workers do. In terms of working with families, if you've got a knowledge around attachment strategies, it helps to make sense of how they are operating as a family, how um, people are interacting. And you can't do that if you can't make sense of, you, of yourself either. Yep. So I would say, and I'm not, I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about attachment styles and strategies here, yep. but I would say to, to social work students is do more than just the kind of Bowlby 1970, where did it all come from? Actually, yep. we've moved on a lot from there. And it's I find yep. it so fascinating because it informs so much of of everybody's day-to-day lives but obviously within social work it's really important and so therefore do a bit around what's your own attachment history but also what's where are you now with your attachment strategies because things change and I would say just you know building on that you know when I finished probably before I finished my social work degree and I know I won't have been the only person is that I came out of a relationship because having what I learned through social work and attachment stuff I then learned, hang on a minute, how how the, I'm operating in this relationship or what this this relationship is in meeting my needs anymore. Interesting. This, I okay. suddenly had a new perspective around what healthy relationships and yeah. adult relationships yeah. and, and that was a really new... So I had a new perspective on life and that's the thing with your social work learning is suddenly you get a whole new lens yeah. and it, and it won't, that lens will serve you well but it won't ever go away. I am also aware that other people have come out of relationships at the point of their social work training because of the learning. And I think that's really key social work education is not just the same as I mean I did my psychology degree it's not the same as a psychology degree because you are doing that reflection you are challenging yourself and actually your life and and what your life is the meaning of your life all of those things are being challenged that's why it's really really difficult lots of people really struggle in terms of their mental health in social work mm-hmm. doing social work degrees social work courses because it can really really shine a light onto your life and make you see things that maybe you don't want to see okay. Okay, and building on from that and not kind of quickly summarising that, but then top tip number six, I'd put down consider counselling or therapy. Um, And that kind of builds on a little bit from what we've been saying. But I remember being in social work training and the the other people that I was on the OU study group with we were i remember people saying social workers should get compulsory counseling or therapy as they're learning here because because it brings up a lot of stuff and of course counseling slash therapy it's not for everybody at a 
particular time, mm. but it's just something that people might want to consider. I mean, I, I would suggest that there's different ways, there's things like student life centres that lots of universities have that have different courses like mindfulness courses. So you don't, in terms of therapy, you know, and counselling, it doesn't have to be sitting down, talking counselling, talking therapy. There's different ways you can do that. So that's my, that was another top tip of mine. Number, are you keeping count? Six or seven, where are we now? <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> is join clubs. Just go for it. Why not? Whether it be choir, whether it be drama, whether it be this or that. Because actually just doing this thing will help with the routine, but also it will take you out of these that social work role, out of kind of certain situations. Just go for it. Whatever you want to do. And, you know, that's why Freshers Week is so, so great. You don't have to go to everything, but why not just go? Sign up. Try it. For example, singing. Singing is, um, as you know, part of the Rainbow Chorus. Yes, I know, but our listeners won't. So do you want to just briefly say what that <laughs> briefly, is for? Briefly, okay. So, um, so it's LGBTQ plus uh, choir, and it's a great place. It's a community choir. It's a great great place that you come together with different types of people, you work hard and you create something. Now I don't know if this is fact and actually we'll probably have to check it. <laughs> fact check it. Fact check it. But what I've been told is that people in the choir, if they've been singing together for quite a few minutes, their heart rate all synchronised. That's amazing. That would be absolutely amazing, that amazing if that's a fact. Okay, should we and look not, it up? And not just a love story. This has come from the, from, a B, from the BBC website, by okay. the way. All right. So it has to be true, surely. You'd hope so. Choir singers not only harmonise their voices, they also synchronise their heartbeats. <gasps> a study suggests. Oh, well, I would go for, yeah, okay. Suggests. I mean, I did have a go at the care of you for not being um, completely, uh, not being clearly evidence-based. But when it comes to this type of research, I think I think just suggestions and assumptions <laughs> is fine. Carry on. Researchers in Sweden monitored the heart rates of singers as they performed a variety of choral works. They found that as the members sang in unison, their pulses began to speed up and slow down at the same rate. Okay, go. so that's amazing. That is in amazing. In terms of being in tune with one another. But it's also about breathing. So singing is about breathing. As we know in terms of doing mindfulness, everything's about breathing. Yeah. So it's about having those spaces to reflect just to make sure that you look after your mental health. In some ways, it might be part of the same of me going on. I like going to the gym as, yeah. as a being in the moment kind of thing. Because yeah. when you're running really fast on the treadmill or you're lifting weights, you're not really anywhere else but there. Yeah. And I guess I'm probably syncing pulses with the person that's also running really fast next to me on the treadmill. Do you think it's the same thing? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Doesn't count. We're both really sweating, running really fast. Is that not like a sweaty pulse moment? I mean, I don't know. Do you but... want it to be? Depends who's in the gym, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Maybe you could go up to them and say, do you know that um, right now we're sinking? <laughs> See if I get escorted out immediately. Right, back on topic. Back yeah. on topic. So my final top tip is go to every single lecture. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you're up for it, you're not up for it, go to every single one. Because even if you only take five minutes away from that, yeah. then that's five minutes more than you would get. And also you're paying for it. And good lecturers should be engaging the students. It's actually up to the lecturers, I would say. And I've, in my experience, when I've gone in, so I don't do, teach part-time like you, Paul, but mm. I go in and develop, uh, deliver, co-deliver one-off workshops on specific topics, usually around domestic abuse. Mm. I see it as a two-way thing. So I think absolutely it's down to the lecturer or the facilitator to ensure that we're uh, delivering uh, learning in a really interactive way that's going to meet the student's needs. But I also think if a student sat there scrolling through their phone, mm. yes, there's certain things we can do 
do to kind of bring them back into the room and there'll be all sorts of reasons why they might be doing that yeah. but actually it's also some students responsibility to also choose to in it be part of that space as well yes no you are right absolutely and actually i think as well i run a quite a tight ship in terms of my lecturing <laughs> i bet you do i bet you've got very different stuff mind you we have taught we've done training sessions before we have together not at university mind but we have done it to different audiences we work quite well together we but do we do have a different approach i think well i think i think there has to be boundaries so we've been talking about these different boundaries that you set on yourself or whatever in terms of your learning there are boundaries within the classroom so people need to arrive on time people need to be engaging to some extent they shouldn't really be on their phones i don't even like it when people I know this sounds horrible, but I don't even like it when people are eating. Because I kind of, kind of think... I you, I'm same. looking at you like that, and the listeners won't know it, but because... Because <laughs> I'm stuffing my face full of crisps. <laughs> I bring food to my... Uh, oh, when you? I facilitate, because I think it's a good way to keep people engaged. And also, yeah. because we're talking about some very triggering subjects, yeah, yeah. sometimes food can be a kind of source of nurture within that. Oh, and I yeah. tend to... Well, also, when I'm delivering things late on a Friday afternoon, bags of Harry Bows work wonders. Ten fastique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the last thing, and I guess this is the most important thing for me, is how to get those marks. And for this, I would link it in with writing academically, writing in a critical way. So when we're talking about critical writing, critical thought in terms of social work, what we're talking about is reflection critical reflection, those things. And they are the foundation of all of our courses. That's how you become a social worker. That's what you're learning to do within those three years or whatever it might be. Mm. Thinking about the reflection side of things, I remember as a student being told to reflect, to reflect, to mm. reflect. And it sounds so simple when you know exactly what that word means. Yeah. But when you're learning what it means, yeah. <laughs> I used to just think, I don't know what you want, what you want my brain to do. Yeah. And because it's a skill and it's new. And then, yeah. of course, now it's just so there. We're doing it constantly. Yeah. So I just kind of wrote down some things. Actually, what's helpful when you're reflecting to actually break it down? Perfect. So it's thinking about what are the facts what happened, what are your feelings, and then evaluate what was good about that and what was bad about it. Mm -hmm. And then moving on to the analysis, which is another necessary skill within social work report writing, isn't it? Is the analysis. And of course, social work, um, when you're completing essays and and dissertations and things, the analysis is crucial. So, you know, the analysis around what does it mean? What what does that information you've got already, what does that mean? And how do you make sense of what's happened? Mm -hmm. And then thinking about, okay, next time or going forward, what can be done or what needs to happen next? Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's a kind of fair breaking it down? Yeah, so it's a learning circle. So we have different types of reflection. So, so, you know, we've got Kolb's, we've got Gibbs, we've got uh, Siobhan McLean's got a weather model, which is um, kind of frames it into, you know, what's the sunshine? What's the rain? What didn't go well? What's the lightning bolt? What made you shocked to make okay. feel something and let me just uh, mention Sha- Siobhan McLean because she is amazing in terms of she puts on YouTube webinars mm-hmm. and they are um, for everyone okay. and they're really really useful she also has an app teaches you about the difference between models theories and approaches as well amazing really really useful stuff so yes yeah, so, so that's in terms of reflection that cycle 
that if it's almost like an evaluation cycle really of what you've been doing what you can do better um, and that's what you should be learning in terms of you know that's the very very basics of what you should be doing in terms of our assignments and it's and it's a key thing to learn definitely within the first term definitely within the first year in terms of reflection so there are different ways that you can do that did you find any tools useful in terms of reflection i f what i remember we were asked to keep a, a, a diary okay and that you were, they said, use the last 15 minutes of every day to write stuff down. And sometimes you'd be divided between, do I just get this piece of work done that's going to be submitted? Yeah. Or do I spend 15 minutes forcing myself to reflect? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you have to force yourself you to do. reflect. You absolutely do. Because it then becomes so innate in us. Yeah. And that's what you're looking for when you're marking assignments, that reflection. If people are writing too much descriptive stuff, mm. they're just explaining what a model is. If they're explaining what attachment theory is mm. from Bowlby without thinking about, well, actually, let's think critically about Bowlby's attachment theory, this white middle-aged man that likes to keep women in a certain position within the family looking after the children as the sole carer, mm. because that's what was expected of women in those times. Yes. Yeah. I don't, what I want to know is what your thoughts are on that. So don't just tell me the what I can learn yeah. by opening a textbook. Tell me about your unique experience, your unique thoughts, your unique perspective, and what you're going to bring, how actually Bowlby's challenged you, how you're challenging Bowlby, how you're challenging attachment theory. Mm. Because that makes a great assignment. Yes. And that makes a great social worker. Moving on from just reflection as well to kind of critical reflection. So critical reflection, when we talk about critical theory, is from kind of Marxism, isn't it? So it's about, it's theory in terms of society. So how society impacts the way that we think. Placing things in kind of context, Bowlby being this particular man in this particular time, with the impact of poverty, the impact of cost of living. Reflective journey is really, very useful. Process recordings? Did you ever do any process oh, recordings? Oh, yes. We had forms for those. <laughs> That's what I remember. Yeah. But actually, again, really helpful. So at the time, it can feel not necessarily at the best use of your time. Mm. But it is really the building blocks to then yeah. being able to, when you are later writing your social work assessments, for example, yeah. actually you've got those building blocks and, and you can do all of use all of those skills and the explanations. Yeah. Um, around why you're making decisions that you're making or why your analysis of that risk is that analysis. Yeah. And and also, I guess, also when we're thinking about reflection, and I didn't mention this as a top tip earlier, but also within the reflection is that when you go on placement and you're working with individuals or families, mm. it can be really challenging, but also find ways, it, whilst you're identifying risks, also identify their strengths. What is it you like about them? Why is it you like that about them? What is it you don't like about them? Why, what, why is it that you don't like that about yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. I think is also really important. Yeah. And sometimes actually thinking about families, because sometimes I would walk away from certain families thinking, actually, I don't particularly get on with them. There's something about them I don't particularly like. Now I start thinking about me. So this is start, now we're talking about reflexivity. Okay. Again. So we're yes. talking about using ourselves, the use of self. Again, a phrase that's used again and again in social work, education and social work. Maybe it's not just about me, but maybe then thinking about if I'm feeling that, mm -hmm. are children feeling the same? If I'm feeling uneasy being in that, in that house, mm -hmm. 
Are the children in that household feeling the same or not? Yeah. Understanding where those feelings come from. Does it come from me? Am I projecting? Is it transference? Is it coming from them? Is it coming from wider forces? Whether that be the unfairness that's structural within society. So starting really broadening it out. Again, that's what makes great assignments. That's, that's what will give you really, really high marks. But it also makes a great social worker because you're exploring professional curiosity, all of those types of things. Yeah. Getting to that point is where you should be at the end. Yeah. The way you get to that point is by starting doing the things, the really simple, maybe slightly tedious to start off with things such as reflective diaries, process recordings, having group peers kind of reflection, you know, I want I want you all to discuss for five minutes in class about this or that. Oh. But just saying that around the discussion in class and again, mm. I know we've kind of finished with the tips but when I am facilitating uh, learning in university the what the people that are asking the questions that are having the conversations the ones that aren't afraid to get it wrong mm. but you can still get it wrong and be respectful and kind and all of that stuff of you know uh, the one, are the ones that I think they're really learning here. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can't be the quiet person and not learn because that's just some people's approaches. But if you get involved and you ask the questions and you speak up or you say things out loud, yes. your learning really is then springboarded yeah, because absolutely. you're interacting then with others around that. I would also give my last top tip. The very last <laughs> top tip. Because this is, maybe this is like the third last top tip we've had. Um, it's kind of two into one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a really good two into the last top tip. Grammar, spelling, proofreading. Okay. Okay. You will not get high marks unless your spelling is on point. You will not get high marks unless there's grammar in there. Now, if you have different learning needs, there are ways that you can get help and you will get reasonable adjustments. Okay. But that's reassuring. What I would say is programs such as Grammarly, programs such as spell check on your bog standard word, really, really a key here. Just learn how to use them because it will just elevate your work so much. Just run it through the program, but also get someone to to read your work. Have a study buddy. Have someone that will read your work and you will read their work before you submit. That's a really good tip. I didn't makes have... a huge difference mm. because they'll be going, I don't understand that. I didn't understand that. Rather than the marker going, I don't understand that, five points off. I think that's a wonderful tip and it goes back to that actually make friends because um, you're not in competition with one another. Mm. So we've done the top tips. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to move away from the tips and on to <laughs> the recommendations. <laughs> Which is different from... It's the, same, it's the same bit different. Right. Because... Because... <laughs> tips are... Tips and recommendations are... Recommendations. recommendations so yeah, so we're not going to number them. We're not going to number them, Cause no. Cause of the, yeah. And we won't go... We, it'll be sh short and... Yes. Succinct. I, I mean, I'm holding up two books here because I brought yeah. these in. Yeah. Because these were the two books that I um, was recommended to read early on yeah. in my social work career. And I still refer to them now yeah so the first one that I've got is it won't come of any surprise is the attachment handbook for foster care and adoption however the attachment handbook is relevant to all children's experiences really and adults and adults exactly we all have attachment yeah attachment needs attachment styles and strategies correct so this is by Spaffs Schofield and Beak and yeah. this is one book that I would recommend getting hold of and, okay. and beginning to to understand around attachment in, in some detail using children's experiences yeah. and then the other one which sounds quite harrowing as a title <laughs> but again I've really enjoyed reading it it's a classic child abuse and neglect yeah uh, attachment again attachment development and intervention 
by David Howe. Yeah, so that's brilliant. another another yeah. great book that I would recommend. Excellent. And we'll make sure they're on the show notes at the end. Yeah. And the other thing that I haven't brought in today, but um, we had, and I think you were there, Paul is Margot Sunderland, the work oh, that yeah. she does. And again, it's very attachment-informed, but I love the work that she does. So yeah. any reading by her. So, yes, I think those are all really useful, especially for children, family, social work. Yeah. In terms of social work theory and social work students, especially undergrads, master students, I would thoroughly recommend Trevor Thick's book in terms of social work skills. There's also another book by Barbara Teeter as well, and we'll put them on the show notes. Those are just really, really useful in terms of models, approaches, theories. They also talk about reflection, reflexivity. They were just my Bible, literally. Mm -hmm. And lastly, if we go back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, there is always help out there in terms of student life centres, attached to universities, attached to colleges, in terms of if you have money worries, all of that kind of stuff, you can get counselling as well there. And in terms of your academic writing, there's also kind of things like skills hub normally attached. Use those things that are provided by university. And enjoy it. Enjoy it. Have the best time of your life. So today's been really great, Paul. It's been great to see you. you and And talk about our own social work, student social work journeys through university. Jeez. Mine was just one and you had three or four or something. <laughs> um, and then, and also just to cover the top, the, the, the tips for, for students returning uh, back into the academic And the recommendations, yeah. which are very different from the tips. Of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't numbered. <laughs> Paul, it's been great to see you again. You too. And see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Why did I say that? <laughs>